Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. Today's guest is Edgar Vincent Clark. I, I know he's been on the podcast many times before, but not recently. And this is a conversation that we've been wanting to have for, oh gosh, I think we put this together before COVID, um, a leadership presentation that we had done for the ASHA convention, or we had put together the study and we we're going to present it at the ASHA convention. And we just wanted to share it here with all of you. So uh, this is a wonderful conversation. I hope you all love it and enjoy it. We did end up having some technical difficulties as I just recently started using um, a brand new podcast studio. So we did end up breaking this conversation up into two parts, but this first part still is full of plenty of good information. And I hope you'll check back next week for part two. Edgar Vincent Clark, also known as Vince, spent almost 20 years working with Integra Rehabilitation of Georgia in multiple settings. He is the past president of the Georgia Speech-Language Hearing Association, GASHA. He has served in various Georgia Association offices and on several boards at the state level. He was the GASHA to ASHA liaison for the 2012 ASHA convention in Atlanta, Georgia, a past Georgia Clinician of the Year, a recipient of the Bob Hall Leadership Award, and in 2013 was the Alumni of the Year for the Dewar College of Education and Human Services at Valdosta State University, the first SLP to receive this honor. In addition, he was appointed in 2018 to the Georgia State Board of Examiners for Speech-Language Pathology and Audiology. Along with the role at the MedSLP Collective, he also is working with AmpCare LLC as a clinical marketing specialist and as a fees mentor with Eric Blicker for fees training. Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders and founder of the MetaSLP Collective and MetaSLP Education. This podcast is dedicated to delivering the latest evidence-based practice to medical SLPs everywhere, while also recognizing that medical SLPs everywhere are doing the best with what they've got. Whether you are a new clinician seeking tangible tools for therapy or a seasoned vet stuck in a rut, my goal is simple, to help you advance your practice without feeling overwhelmed or underappreciated. This means that together we'll build confidence, broaden your knowledge, and reignite your passion for our field. So if you're listening, I encourage you to swallow your pride and be open to new ideas because at the end of the day, you and your patients deserve that kind of support. With that, let's dive in. Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. Good afternoon, Vince. Hello, Teresa. I'm so excited. Okay, so we are in my brand new podcast studio that I've taken forever and ever and ever to set up, and I have never actually used it. But I'm so excited that Vince is here to join us and help me break in this new podcast studio. So welcome, my friend. Thank you for coming. Uh, you are very welcome. Um, if we sound like we're struggling a little bit, I'm trying to figure out what all these fancy buttons are and yes. how to read off the computer screen and all this good stuff. So uh, if there's a inadvertent pause here and there, that is why. Yes. Um, I'm not having a stroke or anything. Okay. Of time. Yes. So I've done the podcast. How long have we had the podcast? Like five years, maybe. And I've just done it literally on Zoom on a desktop computer with a fancy microphone. And now I have this whole studio set up and it's totally sensory overload with all this fancy audio equipment and video equipment. And it's fun, but it's also I'm way out of my element. And I don't remember what I'm doing. So uh, 
that's going to be hard. I welcome everybody. But um, if you don't know, this is Vince, Edgar Vincent Clark on social media. That's his real fancy name. Um, so tell the people who you are, Vince. Um, so I am an, I'm an SLP from the great state of Georgia. And I, I drive down and visit you every once in a while and have done work with the collective, um, I guess ever since you've had the collective going. I'm glad to be a, a part of it. I uh, currently have managed to kind of work myself into where I'm contracting with a bunch of different people at this point. Previous to what I'm doing now, I was in skilled nursing for about 19 years, uh, in important to this podcast and various leadership positions over that time. Uh, active in Georgia Speech and Hearing Association and uh, try to be a great promoter of the profession. Yeah. Awesome. So this podcast stemmed from a talk that Vince and I put together almost two years ago, which is crazy to think about it. We did an entire survey about leadership skills for speech pathologists, and I'll have Vince read the whole formal fancy title in a minute. But The reason that we did this was we had also done a sort of a little workshop together about leadership skills for SLPs in healthcare settings, in in hospitals, in nursing homes, and and there's such a lack of SLP representation in some of these leadership roles. And the survey that we did, the results that we got were were really, you know, eye-opening, sort of what we thought, but also some interesting tidbits. And this talk had been accepted to be present to be presented at the ASHA convention in November, 2021. And then I was not able to go. So we had to withdraw the talk and we hate for this information to not get out there because it was something that was really passionate or it's really passionate to us. And yeah, this, I, was a, this was a COVID victim, like many things in 2021. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, as I've said, I'm, I'm currently working on my PhD and I just finished a course that literally just wrapped up. This past weekend, it was an entire semester-long course in healthcare leadership. So uh, this topic is definitely back fresh in my brain. And Vince and I have been talking about getting on here and talking about the results of this. So I'm happy that we are finally doing it. So, so this this came about, and um, I've really been uh, on Teresa for a while. I was like, we really need to at least talk about this information. Um, this is certainly not a completed project when we when we put this together and when we uh, did the survey, the idea was is, was that this would be very preliminary data and it would give us a route to move forward with within the either within the collective or as a separate project altogether. Um, I don't think Teresa realized at the time she was probably going back and getting her PhD. Yep. So this may be something that she ends up pursuing or I'm batting around and going back to school for something. This may be something that I pick up and run with more in the future. We'll see. Maybe we can continue to share it. But we did we did just think that it was important to get it out there and, and maybe us have a discussion. Uh, this is very raw data. So some of the questions make sense. Some maybe we would have rephrased them a little different. Well, let's just go with it and, and kind of tell you, uh, kind of let everybody know where this came from. When you when you do the kind of things that Teresa and I do on a daily basis, um, you can't help but get certain questions from people and, uh, you know, really good questions. People want to know how um, you have achieved the 
position that you may have. I'm sure, I'm sure, Teresa, that you have been asked a thousand times, how did you get something about the collective started? How did you get this podcast started? Knowing that it is a little bit of inspiration and a whole lot of hard work behind it. Um, likewise with me, um, I have gotten questions, you know, how did you end up being president of Georgia Speech and Hearing Association? How did you end up being director of dysphagia services when I was with um, Integral Rehab in Georgia? You know, just how did I get in various positions that I have been? And there's really no one simple answer. And there just seems to be a hunger for people to, you know, to, to be in leadership, to do, to do more and to progress in, in a profession that sometimes seems like there's nowhere to progress to. So mm-hmm. we kind of openly acknowledge that, that, um, and it's not just, it's not just speech. It, it seems to be the therapy world as a whole. For some reason, PT, OT and SLP, from what I can see, Teresa, I don't know how you feel about this, um, has kind of stagnated in the recent years as far as opportunity. Where other professions, not that we're not needed, but it seems like other professions like BSRNs or RNs that end up getting master's degrees tend to progress more in, in healthcare. So we wanted to explore this. We wanted to just kind of get a, um, an idea of where everybody was at and then, and then move forward. So I'm going to talk about the methodology of the survey that we did. And, and again, we want to, we want to, um, emphasize that, you know, we do consider this to be, you know, preliminary and very exploratory. We'll probably shape this up as we move forward. Um, so it was, these were a series of, uh, what we considered pertinent questions about leadership and they were placed in various Facebook groups over, I think we left them up, I left it up for about a week. Um, it was a total of 13 questions and the scale for the questions was one being absolutely false when they read the statement and five being absolutely true. So there's a whole spectrum one through five of potential answers, uh, for these, for these 13 questions that we came up with. Question number one was just something simple and straightforward that we put out there to see what kind of response we would get. And that was on a scale of one to five, with one being absolutely false and five being absolutely true, I desire to assume a leadership role. So, Teresa, I know you've kind of looked over this data, and you, but you probably don't remember exactly. How do, how do you think this one fell? I you think say, everybody wanted to do this? No, I would say probably the majority would. So, interestingly enough, about 10% of the respondents were absolutely on to be a leader. Yeah. The majority of the answers for this question kind of fell in the middle. Yeah. Kind of in what I would consider a neutral response. Yeah. I think there's a lot of ways to interpret this. You know, if you don't know, if you don't know what to do or how to, to, to get into these positions, you know, maybe people are playing it safe. Yeah. Um, instead of being real gung ho about moving forward with leadership. But this was a question where 42% of the respondents, uh, basically fell on, on a three, which I would 
say is right in between absolutely false and absolutely true. Well, and I think I, I think it's sort of like if you don't know what's out there, you don't know if it's something that you want. And I think for a lot of speech pathologists, there's sort of this, well, at my facility, there is no SLP leadership. So how do I know if that's a role that I want? Or what would this even look like? Or sure, I would love to be a DOR or I would love to be, you know, someplace higher up in leadership in my facility, but no SLP has ever done it before. That's always for the nurses or something like that. And I think what's what's interesting about other leaders that I've met and also my past personal experiences, even, even in graduate school, I was president of our graduate speech and hearing association. And it was because nobody else wanted it. And that was literally, I was like, well, I'll do it. Like, and that was how it, how I became president of our graduate student association for speech pathology. It, it was no like magic, you know, no magic equation, no magic election. And then same thing. I was the president of the Nevada speech and hearing association. Oh gosh, it was probably over 10 years ago. When did I do that? But it was the same thing. I wanted to get more involved with state associations and. I was helping out, um, I was helping out the board with some things and then same thing. It was like they were up for elections and nobody wanted to be president. And I was like, well, heck, sure, sign me up. So I think what's interesting is in, in all of my leadership roles, I've just sort of said I would do it. And I think what, you know, with starting the collective and with starting Met SLP education, it just was something that there was a need out there. And so I just started it. And, and I think, you know, it's interesting in, in talking with other, SLPs that are in leadership roles when I've when I've talked to them about, you know, how did this role come about or how did you decide this was a role for you? And they would say things like, I just created it or I just went to administration and said, hey, we need this sort of leadership role. It wasn't this position is created and we're accepting applications from SLPs only. It was like there is a need for this role and I have the advocacy skills. I have the skills to step up and fulfill this role. So I think that's sort of what I what I want to share with people is that just because the role doesn't exist doesn't mean it's not something that you can create and pursue. So uh, it's interesting you said that about the Nevada speech and hearing. Same, same thing with Georgia speech and hearing. The year that I was president, I knew like no one else knew this because I hadn't told anybody, but being president of the state association was part of my tenure plan mm -hmm. when I was making tenure plans. So that's something that I wanted to, to at least be in a leadership position at some point once I graduated from grad school. So I, I just thought that was going to be such a difficult, something so difficult to achieve. But when there's literally no other people that want the role, somebody has to step up right, right. and do it. And, and I don't know that it's so much that people are like, oh, I don't want to do that. It's that they're afraid of failure. Yeah. So me, you know, I've, I've failed forward my whole life. You know, you fail and you move forward. Yeah. It's all part of learning. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I totally get that. Like me being, um, me being involved in Georgia speech and hearing and being president was at that time, nobody was running for that position. I was like, Sure, why not? It might as well be me. Yeah. One of the best things I ever did. Yeah. Uh, honestly, it, it really changed my life professionally, you yeah. know, being involved. All right, moving on to another question. So I would make a good leader, but require further training. So that question leaned towards 
true. There were there were more in the cohort uh, that answered that um, registered that as a four, um, and then about fifteen percent did absolutely true. About forty three percent were either neutral about it or thought that was a false statement. So I, th- I think again that kind of shows the maybe not quite knowing how to move forward with these, with how to become a leader. Yeah. I think is more what we're what I interpret out of that than anything else. What I don't know what your thoughts are. Maybe I would have rephrased this question, you know, differently, seeing what I'm seeing. Yeah, so, so I think it's interesting. I like I don't. I mean, I don't think I've ever had any sort of formal leadership training, and I and I don't say that to. I, I say that humbly because I I now realize the need for having more formal leadership training. You know, when you sort of jump into something, you realize you're exposed and you see things that you could have done better. Or, you know, I, I believe trial by fire. I believe experience is. is and, and you say that, but knowing you and having watched you over the years, you're you seek it out. I do. I do. You read all the time. You're a yeah. vora- I mean, I don't think people realize what a voracious reader. Yes. Most people in leadership positions are. Yeah. And that's one thing that I noticed about you is your con- you oh, you there's a new book that you're picking up or two yes, or three that I you're reading read. all at one time. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm always reading something too. That's always just reading's just always been a big part of my life. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting how. For me, anyway, it's just a different kind of learning. Yeah. Even than audiobooks or, or, um, watching something on the television or the computer. There's just something about a book that's, or read, or written reading material. Yeah. It's just different than any other way to learn. I'd say I probably read, I don't know, I'd say maybe three to four books a month and I don't finish all of them. My, my life motto is, you don't have to finish a book that isn't good. But what what I learned, I, I would say I if if I get one takeaway from a book, that book was a success. Like I think so many people put too much weight into what a book can provide you. And I think if it just gives you one or two solid giveaways, then that's a win. And so I do I do read a ton. I also listen to a lot of leadership podcasts. Um, but I think what's interesting is, is during my, this healthcare leadership course that I took for my PhD, we had to do that formal, the emotion, what is it? Emotional intelligence. It was like the EQI2 assessment. Yeah. And so we had to do the full length one, which took like 45 minutes to go through the entire inventory. Um, and it gave us like a full, like 50 page report. And I think, and that was really eye opening for me because it tells you, you're really strong, your strengths, and then also your weaknesses. And I think, you know, I knew, I knew of some of my weaknesses, but it's really humbling to sort of see them on paper. So you, see you called out for them. And, and what I think is interesting is just through life experiences and, you know, things that have happened in my personal life, things that have happened in my professional life, my weaknesses now didn't used to be weaknesses. And I think it's something that if you're going to be a leader, you have to constantly be reevaluating yourself and where you are now in your situation in your personal life, in your professional life. Um, and I think that's sort of something that I, I just assumed I would continue to get better at. Like I just thought once I acquired these leadership skills, then I always had these skills and it wasn't something you had to go back and improve upon. And I couldn't be more wrong 
in that, you know, and it's like a, you know, it's like a professional athlete. Like if you stop playing or you stop working out for six months, you're, you're not, you know, you're not going to just pick up where you left off. You have, you need to sort of get yourself back into it. And so I think that was really eye opening. And, and I think that's something I would encourage people if they want to get more into leadership, I would really encourage them to take that emotional intelligence assessment and see where they are and see what they can improve upon and, and seek out some books, some podcasts, even some formal training in those areas of weakness and, and also double down on your areas of strength. Um, I think some of the areas that I was strong in, I didn't realize that and I, and I should leverage those. And I'm sure we can plug some of this stuff we're talking about into our show notes in the end. So people have uh, easy access to them. All right. So let's move on to the next question that we ask everyone. And that is, I do not know where to begin with advancing myself as a leader. So interestingly enough, um, we either got a a neutral response for that or it fell more towards absolutely false. Mm -hmm. So maybe people do have an idea and we do have to, and and another, you know, one point that I like to make about this is a lot of the people that were answering this survey were members of the collective. It came out of the collective Facebook group. So it, so it's probably people that are already interested in bettering themselves. They're, they're already moving forward with doing different things in their career to make themselves better. So maybe if we ask a more general population of SLPs this question, we'd get a different answer. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and I think too, you know, I mean, now that I'm working on my PhD, I learned a lot more about research methods and methodology and sort of putting bias out there. And, and you know, what are some limitations of this? Obviously, this was not a formal study. This was a very right. informal survey that we this did. Was a, this is how are we going to put yeah, the other Yeah, I think study. this is a very specific population that we put this survey in, as you said, members of the MetaSLP Collective. And I think that it was not very heterogeneous in that, you know, people that would respond to this type of survey obviously have leadership on the brain, right? Like, if you have no, you know, if you never want to get involved in leadership, I don't think you would volunteer to take a leadership survey, right? So, right. so I think, you know, it's a little bit saturated in that, but we did end up having a decent, how many responses did we have? A uh, hundred and forty. Yeah. Twenty-seven. Yeah. Cool. hundred and twenty-seven. Yeah. Not, not shabby. Not too no, shabby. not at all. So the next question was, I feel personally prepared to assume a leadership role. So, this is interesting to me. 100% of the respondents said absolutely false. Yeah. So the question again is, I feel personally prepared to assume a leadership role. And so the same group that answered previously that I do not know where to begin with advancing myself as a leader, then answered 100% that they feel uh, personally, they do not basically feel personally prepared. Yeah to assume a leadership role. And I and I wonder if that's a little bit of that imposter syndrome, imposter syndrome creeping up that, yeah, yeah. that I can't identify with, but I think a lot of SLPs identify with. Yeah. I, um, I don't know. I think it's I think it's really just sort of this day and age and social media and people are really fearful of what people will think and, and what is out there about them. And I think for me I've just sort of always been someone that, you know, I'll jump out of the plane and figure out the parachute later. And I I say that, I I know it sounds much simpler, easier said than done, but I think if if you have these skills and you have this desire and it's something you want to learn to do, you're not going to just be put out there 
to figure it all out on your own. You know, if, if it's a position that you want, if it's a position that you seek out, there's people that will help you along the way. And, you know, we just hired um, somebody new for the MetaSLP Collective, and it's a position that she's never done anything in before, but she has so many incredible skills that are going to make her so successful at this position. Um, and, and I think what's so funny is, you know, she's like, I don't want to bother you about this. I don't want to bother you about this, but we want to help her. We want to help her hone in those other skills that she needs to know so that she can run with the skills that she already possesses. And I think that's what I just want to share with people is that if you have a desire to be a leader and you know that you can do good in this field and you know that you can represent speech pathologists, you have the patient's best interest in mind, then I would absolutely encourage you to to jump out of the plane. Go go seek out whatever leadership position that you want to find. But also ask what support is available. You know, ask, am I am I supposed to create this position all on my own? Or is there somebody, you know, a previous person that held this position? Or is there people sort of in a parallel position that can help me? Um, you know, figure out your sort of level of comfort, but also it's okay to be uncomfortable. You know, being uncomfortable means that now you've got to do some work and grow and and I, I don't know, I just, I have a big fear of being comfortable in life. I don't want to be comfortable. I like always reaching out of my comfort zone and, and learning the next best big thing. I just always want to be growing and evolving as a person. And I just, I want so many other SLPs to know and learn and embrace that as well. Okay. Uh, next question. College and graduate school helped prepare me for leadership opportunities. So interestingly enough, um, this was at eighty-six percent of respondents said absolutely true. Yeah, okay. Fifteen percent uh, true. So they were. Yeah. So this was a judged as a true statement. I think sometimes we hear graduate school getting bashed. Well, I think. Lately. I mean, I, well, yeah, and and I think. So this kind of surprised me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll say um, I don't feel like I personally in in the speech pathology curriculum. I don't feel like I learned much about leadership skills right. you know we learn how to you learn how to do therapy that is what you do you have patients in front of you you learn how to do assessments and treatments so well i think you learn like like for me and i and i talk about this in general about a college like a liberal arts education or a college or a graduate level education you do kind of learn how to, ref, to refine what you're doing you know, how do you, you know, how do you write? Yeah. How do you communicate with patients or parents or spouses? I think there's a lot of, I mean, I really, I've always felt like there were a lot of skills that we get in graduate school that do apply. Like we should be good, like we should be great communicators, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, if nothing else, great, what, great swallowers and great communicators. Yeah. You know, if nothing else. So I do think that there are opportunities in graduate school. I certainly felt like graduate school helped, for lack of a better word, refine me in a way. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, I think it's because you we've talked about that before, and I've always thought that was interesting that you've said that because I never really have thought about that. And then if you think of other like I think of other positions that I've been in and and they've said, you know, we actively seek SLPs for this leadership role because they come with a specific skill set that's very beneficial to these roles. And I think I've never, I've never really thought of it that way. And I don't think SLPs give themselves enough credit in what we are strong in and what type of person becomes an SLP and someone that wants to help someone communicate effectively, whether it's written, whether it's verbal, that is what we want to help other people do. So we, 
have the tools and skills to be able to do that ourselves. Right. Definitely. Definitely so. I think we could go into a, um, some more depth with that question in, in the future. Uh, my current job offers me opportunities for leadership. So 67% of the respondents said absolutely true. Uh, four or excuse me, 5% said true. 16% were neutral. 14% um, counted that as a false statement. So it was overwhelmingly people felt this to be true. Yeah. But there was, you know, there were some stragglers here. Um, hopefully, you know, there's not a lot that we can do about the jobs that people take. And, um, you know, I can say that I worked with a really great organization for 18 years and interspersed with working with them. I worked with some not great organizations Mm -hmm. and I do feel like Integra helped groom leadership skills. Yeah. And, and people that wanted that, that want, like if you expressed that you wanted to be a director of rehab, then they did everything they could to try to find a place to to plug you in or to be in some sort of um, leadership role. I know that I applied for a vice president role with Integra, and um, little did I know they already had another spot they wanted me to be in at the time, and that was when we started the fees program with Integra. But everybody that applied for that vice president role, I think there were five of us, Every one of those people got a promotion of some kind into another leadership role almost immediately. Yeah, probably it, because you raised your hand. Even if said, it wasn't, yeah, right, even right. if it wasn't that vice president role that they, that they thought they were getting. Yeah. So, um, two vice president roles got filled that day and then another person took over a DOR role at one of our flagship buildings at the, at the time. So that was a very big deal. And then I took over like dysphagia diagnostics and the, and the last person ended up in a direct rehab role. I'm not, I don't remember exactly where. So yeah, just putting yourself out there. Yeah. Well, I, what I think is interesting is in, in a lot of the f- different facilities that I've worked at, I know I, I worked at, there was one facility that I worked at that for the, you know, even the patient care plan meetings, PT and OT went and speech didn't go to those meetings. And I remember I said, well, why doesn't speech go? And they said, well, Speech has never gone. Okay. And then same with, same with rounds. You know, why doesn't, you know, PT and OT show up at rounds, but no SLP does. And I said, why doesn't an SLP go? Well, because they never have before. Okay. Well, I'd like to go because I have a lot of input on these patients that could affect discharge planning that, you know, can really affect their entire stay. And so I just asserted myself into those roles for no other reason than I knew that I had valuable information to contribute to the team. And that's, I think, you know, it it seems like sort of a small step, but it's actually a big step in that that's what opens the doors to you showing what our field is capable of, you showing what your leadership skills are capable of, and just knowing what all the other roles are in your facility. And and on the flip side, um, in the facility that I that I PRN at now, SLPs have a huge role in rounds in, you know, the leadership council in the hospital. The SLPs are very, very well respected, but they've earned that. You know, they've shown up and they've gone to those meetings and they they are prepared for them. And they they are not something you just show up to and make a, you know, laissez-faire recommendation. We have very sound 
medical reasoning for our recommendations. And I think, you know, that's something that SLPs really should, you know, raise your hand, stand up and say, you know, I want to start going to rounds. I want to be involved in these entire facility-wide committees and and these and just being in these rooms with and having these conversations. So um, you know, interesting that you said that one of the things that is often talked about, um, and, and I know I keep bringing up social media groups, but that is where I get so much of my my information. You know, it's not like people are writing me letters or anything. It's you know, <laughs> these day and ages, you you read, yeah. uh, you know, you yeah. read off of Facebook or Instagram, or whatever, and you know, I've I've seen this posted. You you just struck a great thought with me. I've seen this posted a thousand times. The job position is being advertised as only for PT and OT. Yeah, yeah. And often, no one did that on purpose. Right. There's not this group that says, let's leave the SAP out. Right, right, right. It's literally that they do not, for whatever reason, put SLP in with the rest of the rehab team. Yeah. So... For those of you that do see those kind of advertisements, if you're looking to move into different roles, into leadership roles or different responsibility roles, and you see it advertised as PTOT, apply for that job. Yeah. Make a call, you know, show up to the clinic director or wherever it may be and say, I don't think you did this on purpose, but, you know, I've been in rehab for X, Y, Z years and I know how to do this, this, and this. And, I've I've led a team before and I can do it again. Yeah. You know, those, I would not look at those kind of advertisements and think that they're intentionally excluding you. You know, if it's an orthopedic clinic, maybe they are. Like, you know, maybe that's true. But if just regular, just rehab, inpatient rehab, probably not. Yeah. Probably not. All right. So the next question that comes up, here's a loaded one. Um, I am respected at work. How do you think this fails, Teresa? You can't see my graph. I know. So how do you think? How do you I, think, I this think it's probably very polarizing. I think there's some that feel very well respected, and I think there's some that feel very disrespected. There were very few people that mark this as a true statement, a true or very true okay. statement. The majority of people that responded to this fell in the middle, which I would okay. consider yeah. a neutral response. Yeah. So maybe they don't know how to feel about it. Yeah. Or they are not sure if they're respected at work. Um, and then we had 33% that said that statement was false. So one third of people that responded do not, more than one third actually, because there's some absolutely false responses too. Um, more than one third of the people that responded do not feel respected at work. That is painful for me to hear. It hurts my heart. I know. I don't want a third of people that are going to work as SLPs not feeling respected. Um, I don't want to act like I'm surprised by this because again, this is another one of those things that we hear all the the time. I don't get asked to be on committees. I don't get asked to participate. I'm always a second, a second thought. I'm asked, well, what do you do? What's your role? I know that uh, not not with Integra, but with another organization that I went to to work for that involved multidisciplinary PTOT speech. I was, you know, the first or second day I was there, 
Well, just exactly what do speech therapists do? Yeah. And they had had a speech therapist working there with them for years, or actually two at the time. So I thought, what a strange question to ask. But the team really did not understand what our role was. And honestly, that particular team did not work as a team. I, I say team only because it's what they're supposed to be. But there was no... ET, you know, PTOT and speech work together to improve the patient. Everybody was very much in silos. Yeah. I think what's really interesting about this is, is I've worked in a bunch of different facilities and I've seen so many different dynamics. And I think I very much believe in that respect is earned, right? You have to, you have to do the work and earn the respect of your peers. But I think it also very much goes along with you have to be in the right rooms, right? And I think in some facilities, there are some doctors that just always will say, defer to speech, whatever speech thinks. And some people can take that as as a bad thing, like, well, they're just, you know, putting it on me and they don't really, you know, respect my recommendation. Well, that's an opportunity. Well, right. And, yeah. But on the flip side, I, I, I worked with a doctor. I worked with a doctor before that always said that because he always said, I very much respect what SLPs bring to the table. And so I think it's it's a room for it's it's area for conversation. I think and the more you can get in these rooms, the more you can sit at these tables, the more you can be on these committees and show people the knowledge that we possess. And you know, I I, I just did a great podcast with with Rachel about trach teams and I think that's such a great way to show what we bring to the table and what we bring to the field and the scope and the depth and the breadth of the knowledge that we have that can contribute. You know, it doesn't have to be this VP of rehab, you know, whether it's just you are someone that goes to rounds or you are someone on a trait team. Yeah, you should just be respected. Right. Ask the speech right. pathologist. Right, right. Well, that's a great title to have. Right, but it know? does it does require coming out of your comfort zone and not just staying in your little speech closet and not showing anybody what we're capable of doing. I definitely did not come out of graduate school knowing how to do the job that I did yeah. for 18 years. No, I didn't either. I don't think anybody does. You know, maybe there are some people that are going to more medically oriented programs that come out hitting the ground running in this day and age. I certainly know um, now that I'm doing adjunct teaching at Valdosta State that the students are getting exposed to things that we never got exposed to. And that, and while they're, you know, in their four year degree before they ever get into Graduate school, I mean, we're talking about swallowing yeah. with seniors and undergrad. I am, anyway. Yeah. I mean, that's part of... I just actually what, presented to an undergrad class yesterday. That's what I feel like yeah. they need to know. Yeah. I, I, and um, I'm glad to say that I am, while they had heard or they knew that that's part of what we did, no one had... And we're not deep diving into any of this. We're we're kind of skimming the surface, but we're letting... I'm let, I feel like we're, I'm letting them decide what route. Yeah. You know, they want to take with their career. So, you know, being respected as a two way street, I think we're both saying you got to put the work in yeah. Yeah. yourself. Yes. You know, I don't, I don't want to blame, you know, I don't want to like anyone to say, Oh, you're blaming SLPs. Yeah. But it's, it's the truth. And I, and I've seen, I've seen this a thousand times as well. Yeah. A doctor gives an SLP a referral. And then the SLP comes back to the doctor, not with answers, but with more questions. 
and they should be the one presenting the answers. Yeah. And then they wonder why the doctor gets flustered with them or they can't get referrals. So if you have, if you, it's okay not to know everything. Seek out mentorship, mentorship, you know, put the work in with the CEUs. You know, unfortunately, we're never going to get away from doing more CEUs yeah. And, yeah. and learning. So, yeah. Yeah, I have a friend that, you know, at her facility, you know, she very much was in the rut of just staying in her little, she would call it her little speech closet, stayed in her little speech closet, brought the patients in, didn't really interact with any other, anybody else in the facility. Did You know, would talk to the DOR, would talk to some PTs and OTs that she would eat lunch with. But other than that, saw her caseload in her speech closet, that was that. And she felt very disrespected in her role, did not feel like people knew what she did. but. You know, I, I was talking with her and, you know, she just felt like, I feel like we're very misunderstood. And I just said, well, how can you change that? You can change that. You can change how people perceive you. And so she just said, you know, can I start going to rounds? Can I start going to care plan meetings? And they said, yeah, of course, why not? So she started going to them. She started to get to know administrations. She started to get to know doctors and more people in the facility. And, and sort of before she knew it, she felt very respected just because she came sort of out of the speech closet. Right. And like, she, you know, ended up and then ended up, there was a, a, a leadership role that opened up that she applied for and she got it. And it was a non-clinical role, but it was in administration that she thought it was sort of her quote unquote dream job and really impacting patient care and creating protocols for the facility. And she loved it. And she was so happy to do it, but she said she never would have even thought that that was something that she could pursue had she not started just volunteering to go to these committees and, and to just start getting herself out there more. Right. And, and I think if we have a bad brand image, it's what what can you do in your facility today? You know, and it doesn't have to be that you have to take on all these unproductive, unbillable hours and start going to all these committees and meetings. But what what's something simple that you can start doing to get yourself out there and, and let people know what wonderful work we do. And uh, we were discussing this earlier, um, and I, I definitely do not want to miss saying this because this is something I don't, I don't and oh gosh, and, and I'm getting in trouble saying this. I don't, you know, I know I'm, I know I'm a male SLP and so I can't help but my maleness influence how I do my job and I seem to have noticed over the years that maybe sometimes the female SLPs I work with have a hard time asking for the things they yeah, need. Yeah, yeah. I've talked over and over with young female, you know, out of school, two, three, four years that have said, I really deserved a raise and I haven't got a raise in X number of years. Or they told me I did great on my job performance and I was all tens get a raise or I only got 35 cents or whatever it yeah. might be. And my question is always back to ask for one. Right. And the answer then I get is no, I don't feel like I should have to. Yeah. Like I should be recognized like there's like somehow it's cheating or it's not as good if you have to point out you know right. why. Yeah. Yeah. And I seem to think that Maybe that is a male-female difference because I can tell you guys don't have any problem telling you why they deserve a raise. Yeah, any given, yeah it, it's interesting. At any given time. Yeah, I don't know if it is a, is a male-female thing. I, I don't know what it could be, but it's interesting because I, I had a conversation with a you know pretty well-known professor in our field, and she said the same thing. 
the whole conversation came up and, and I just said, you know, well, did you, did you ask for this or did you pursue this position? And she said, no, it should just be given to me. And I, I said to her, I was like, can you repeat that? Like, and, and sit and, and listen to how ridiculous you sound in saying that. And she was like, oh my gosh, like, I guess, why didn't I pursue it? You know, and I don't, like I said, I don't know if it is a, is a gender thing or what it is, but yeah, sometimes we just assume that we do a great job. We do a great job for our patients. If we are well-respected by our DOR or rehab team, we should just earn these positions. But I, there's so much to be said about the other side of it and putting yourself out there and, and raising your hand and saying, this is what I want. This is what I want to go for. So I, I found this interesting um, with the next question that we asked that I'm about to bring up, considering what we've already just talked about. So this question is, my opinion is important to others at work or in professional settings. Now, based on what we've already talked about, I would think we're going to get like, that's absolutely false. But that's not what happened. On this question, almost 90% of everybody either thought, of everybody that responded, excuse me, thought that that was true or absolutely true. So this it's interesting to me. You know, I don't know if it's how how the questions are phrased. Or if people think we're asking something different, you know, maybe we need to look at the questions. I think there's something there. We just haven't, I just haven't figured out what, what that difference is. I don't understand why people would not feel a third of respondents would not feel respected at work, but they, but they would feel like that their opinion is important. So something doesn't jive. No, the no, same, no, These are the same people. This is so, bad science we're doing. I, yeah. Well, I don't know if it's, no. I don't know if it's bad science yeah, or no. I don't or if there's just something there that we can't tease out. Yeah. So we'll just we'll just leave that as okay. is. Okay. Um, so I am valued for what I bring to the interdisciplinary team at my job. So interestingly enough, about a third. We're neutral. About 40%, I'm trying to have these in my head, a little more than 40% said that this was either false or absolutely false. And then around 24% or about a quarter of everybody said that this was true or absolutely true. So we've got this spectrum of people that feel valued with a big group in the middle that aren't sure. Don't really know what to do with that either. I, I know. It's, it's kind of across the board. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's tough. I think, I don't know. I think these are good reflection questions. Like I think uh-huh. this is a good place to sort of start with how you feel that you're perceived in your. So I guess if we were doing a focus group, yeah, you know, I would go back and want to know in each of these questions. Yeah. Why did you answer it? Yeah. That way. I'm actually, a, a course that I'm just finishing up now is qualitative research methods. And I'm actually really loving the class and the, my entire research project this semester is about the perceived effectiveness of fees, because I think fees have such a bad rap into what it can, what it mm-hmm. can do. Um, and I, and I just think of some of the questions that I asked on my survey and in my interviews. And I think a lot of these questions I think would be very interesting to ask in a qualitative study too. Um, cause I would love to hear more. I would love to hear some, some really more fleshed out responses as to why people right. gave these responses and why they feel the way that they do. Yeah. This gives me some ideas for some focus groups. Yes. All right. Other, other, uh, projects make projects. Yeah. 
Right. Yes. And that's a wrap for this episode. As always, thank you so much for listening. And if you'd like to download the show notes from this episode, please visit swallowyourpridepodcast.com. There you can also sign up for our email list so that you'll never miss another episode. If you do like what you hear, then please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or share it on social media with your friends and colleagues because that is what keeps these episodes coming. If you'd like to be a guest, share feedback, or request a topic to be discussed on the show, please email podcast at TeresaRichard.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week.